So we have Go from Houston. This is Functional and Fabulous, the omni-channel podcast where we unbox tales of online retail and digital transformation. In this episode, recorded partly live on stage in Dublin during Studio 49's annual Excellence in E-Commerce conference, Jer doesn't stick to the f***ing plan. Um, I'm going to go off script a tiny bit. Our guest Vinny gets feisty with the audience. No pressure, this is payback. So what's the question? Gordon and Jer get excited about Street Fighter. I've only got the Street Fighter action for that one. <laughs> Don't film that. And the boys inflate their own egos. Live podcasts, how do we think we did? Oh, I, thought, I, thought, I thought we did really well. <laughs> I thought we did really well. Roger couldn't keep up with us, but apart from that. This episode of Functional and Fabulous is brought to you with pride by Studio 49, retail e-commerce experts, omni-channel growth consultants, and cut-through performance marketing specialists. Studio 49, where your digital retail success is built. So um, without further ado, I'm going to start with a, an introduction. I have to read from the phone, uh, so you'll have to forgive me. But of course, it's going to be a podcast. So nobody's going to be watching. No heckling. Except for the camera over there. Don't mind, don't mind the camera. The camera's on. He's new to this. Give him a chance. <laughs> I look in this direction like this, as if I'm talking to you. So uh, Vinny is actually a, a bit of a powerhouse in e-commerce. Uh, he's an e-commerce consultant with an extensive and impressive CV. Uh, the companies he's worked with are a who's who of Irish merchants and merchant services, including eBay Ireland, Arnott's, Mix Garage, Lucerne, JD Sports, Argos, Unilever, Littlewoods, Shoe, and M&M Direct, to name, I suppose, a few, which is a, an incredible CV. Uh, he's a self-described and notorious LinkedIn spammer uh, who writes and speaks about Thank the... You. But <laughs> and speaks about the importance of balancing short-term solutions with long-term strategy. He discusses the need to focus on opportunities rather than challenges and investments rather than cost centers. Right now, his research includes the future of hybrid TV advertising, the potential of cooperative services in terms of serving Irish merchants, and of course, marketplaces, as he works to understand and explain alternative sales channels and new marketing avenues that help drive revenues for Irish businesses. Vinny, it's uh, wonderful to have you here today. Thanks, Ger. Um I'm having an existential crisis. I don't know if I'm going to buy a leather jacket or a robotic lawnmower. The midlife crisis in me says I'll probably end up with the jacket. But uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, delighted to be here and, and amongst uh, quite a lot of the best of, of Irish e-commerce, um, yourselves included. And I've been lucky enough to work with yourself and Gordon now for the last six months or so. Uh, the introduction was too generous, uh, with the exception of the LinkedIn spam element, but uh, we'll touch on that maybe a little bit later on. Although you did say yourself it was fair. Oh yeah, I didn't. <laughs> no, no, no harm there. Right, well, down to business. First question. So I want to ask you a question about something that I've no experience of working on. The Bush Telegraph tells us that you're quite bullish on Amazon or marketplaces in general. So first question is, is that true? And the follow-up is, why? Well, Gordon's a marketplace of snob, so he never wanted to get into it. That's what I was he, never allowed. <laughs> He's never tried. Um, I, I tried knocking on your door numerous times. I'm bullish on marketplaces, yes. I think if we look at some of the things that, that the guys have already spoken about this morning, it's that people want to buy in different ways. And we've got to present ourselves or make ourselves known and uh, be available to them to buy in those channels and at those times that they decide to buy. Because... In reality, when we think about our own buying habits, we decide when we want to buy, when we want to buy, not really under the influence of you know, advertising per se, not all the time anyway. So when I started working back in eBay in 2007, I think it was right now, you know, the UK market had really adopted the, the notion that it was okay to appear in all these channels because people had already decided they wanted to buy in different ways. And, and the best examples I guess I can give were things like in the fashion cohorts that they have, the very dedicated fashion buyers who love browsing, like they will spend hours and hours going through eBay trying to find that perfect deal. And that was in part because of their business model. They had this auction model where you could go and say, I'm gonna bid five quid to get those trainers because I might win on Sunday night. And you kind of, you had this habitual thing that, that people were coming back to the site over and over and over again. And what developed out of that as it brought full price onto the site was that people had this expectation that they were only get the, the best of products, but at a slight discount. So in your merchandising cycle, it might have meant that 
if you were going into a six-week cycle of full price selling, then you might be able to extend that through marketplaces or go there first because that's where the buyers were going over and over again. So as that evolved, I guess I've, I've worked in marketplaces on and off now since 2007 in various guises with some successes, with some failures. I worked with, with Kieran, who's here in the audience on, on um, marketplaces. We ended up building our own API infrastructure into that, and, and it gave us the ability to expand. Now, one of the reasons I, I would like to touch on inside of the trading and profitability of it, that I think it's, it's a really good uh, ballast for us, is when we think about you know, th third-party selling or marketplaces selling, Amazon is the one that jumps to mind. But Amazon has set this bar, and I'm going to contradict myself now in a second, but Amazon has set this bar that says to us, that is the standard in retail that we need to get to from a service perspective. So when I say I'm bullish on things like Amazon, it's saying, if you think you can go and create an e-commerce experience that is not to the standard of an Amazon, you're not going to satisfy customers as well through your own site if you haven't put yourself through that experience or at least are aspiring to those standards. Now, to contradict myself, the two sites that I, I love that were highlighted on, on the last presentation were Next and AO.com. The reason I believe they're so good is service. You can order off Next today up till 10 p.m. tonight. It's going to arrive in your doorstep tomorrow. In 2011, they had a concept store in Leicester where we were working with them in eBay to test all of these things. They've invested in that for since that point and even before. We hear a lot about retail media, um, and we, we might get to that a little bit later on. But Next started investing in their retail media platform in 2015. Okay, They understood that they had traffic that they could leverage. They understood the idea of expanding assortment, and they knew they now had the service proposition to allow brands to confidently put their product on there and say, yes, we want Next to be part of that proposition. Final part of all this, I mentioned AO.com. What we didn't see there was the detail. If you look at the copy and the copywriting that goes through the AO.com site, it's phenomenal. So on the TV listings, I, I know when you go into the category pages, there's so much going on in there, but it's worth spending time there. When you go onto the TV page, it says, we have helped millions of customers choose their perfect TV. It's not here, come look at TVs. They get into that emotive experience of telling you what they've done, which has made people happy through sitting in front of a goggle box. Long-winded answer. Hopefully there's something in there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose one thing that's of interest is uh, we hear a lot about retail media now. And uh, I'm not sure everybody in the audience knows exactly what that might mean. Do you want to go into a little bit more detail on how, and, and how it means in terms of opening up additional marketplaces for retailers? Yeah, um, retail media, I, I guess we, we've highlighted um, Meta and Google as the two fundamental places that we go to bring uh, traffic into our, our, our businesses and, and on, onto our websites. Over the last, I suppose, three or four years predominantly, we, we, we've been seeing the evolution of what are called retail media networks. They are high volume retail websites that are monetizing their traffic through saying, if you list our products on here, you can actually buy advertising space from us right now. I, I first started working on the Walmart retail media network four years ago. Um, I, for for, for mo most people won't know, but I, I'm director and a direct-to-consumer brand myself. We sell thermally insulated tents in the US market. That's our, our primary channel. We use Walmart for that purpose. Four years ago, it was terrible. Walmart acquired Moose Jaw, which was a specialist outdoor retailer about three years ago. It's been sold actually in the last two months to Dick's Sporting Goods. And they bought it to bring all that e-commerce uh, expertise in. So that they wanted to understand, how do we allow brands to equitably buy ad space from us? And that's something that's been happening quite a lot in, in different industries. So uh, if you look at uh, Boots and, and Superdrug in the UK, they have kind of been some of the front runners, uh, the, 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 the DIY group. Everyone in that space are now starting to monetize that traffic as well. Can I, can I just ask you a question there? So th there's going to be lots of people in the audience that are used to getting their marketing support euros from, from their suppliers. So uh, I know I would have done that in, in past roles. How does retail media kind of differ from marketing support money that you would get from your third-party suppliers? Because it's going the other way, I guess. The, the, the full dynamic is kind of shifting. I don't know that they're going to want to do it. I, I think some of that support might retrench a little bit, and you could see them going direct themselves onto some of these marketplaces. I, I think there's a danger there. Now, I, I want to caveat that, Gordon, because the one thing that I, I would say about the, these platforms is that they're very much in their infancy. So 
right now what's going to come under question in the next few months is the performance of retail media networks. You're going to see people saying, we've invested thousands and, and we're, we're not getting the return that we want. And ultimately what people want to see is rate of sale in store. So I'm working with a, 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 an Irish food brand. We're listed on the Yumbo platform in, in Netherlands and Belgium. And we've just completed a campaign yesterday. We, we, we've invested quite heavily in it. We couldn't even get an analytics report. We won't get an analy our first analytics report till next week. We had to invest on the basis of joint uh, business plan. So in that respect, it is just like Big marketing black support. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tiny bit of an in-joke there. But, but no, in, in all seriousness, the, the, the networks have to mature. And one of the other things that's going to come out of them is they need to hire better. So right now, if we think that e-commerce has been isolated in our own industries, the e-commerce teams in these media platforms are completely separate to the retail team. So what you're seeing is this clash of performance objectives and even siloed information like that. So the, the brands that are going into it, they're going to suffer a little bit this year. It's going to take maybe another 12 months to flush itself out. But in two years time, you know, you're, you're going to see some of the larger Irish retailers, I would imagine, starting to monetize that traffic. And that presents to me an opportunity for Irish retail in general. It's very interesting. So uh, basically, it's a, a, an area around the Irish retailer selling space to brands uh, to sell through the websites as opposed to uh, buying the stock and you know taking the risk themselves. Yeah, and, and it kind of goes into that idea of co-op. So I've long held this belief that, that Ireland in certain areas, I live in Tralee, by the way, so you know it's a small trade, trading town, relies heavily on retail, and that's kind of its lifeblood. I grew up in a small town just, just down the road in Kildare, and that's always been something that, that's been part of how I've grown up and been involved in my life. So. You know, when the pandemic hit, everyone went online. Every small shop in Tralee decided to build a, a store, and, and it made sense because they had to. Now what I think they've got to start figuring out is what are those tools of e-commerce that make sense for them. It's not that everyone needs to have a full trading team, because let's be honest, there's not enough talent in the country for us all to, to, to have a fully-fledged e-commerce team. But I think if you look at where e-commerce is moving in general, the roles that we will need to hire for are what we just looked at today. It's merchandising, it's being interested in data, it's wanting to do something with it, it's about content creation. So the e-commerce team of 10 years ago is going to look really, really different in the next three years. So like swinging back to, to our theme of marketplaces, and I suppose tying it into this idea of cooperative, could marketplaces play a role then for those smaller retailers who maybe can't have a a marketing team? My belief has always been that they should, but since 2007, uh, when I joined eBay, we've struggled to get through that concept as, as a culture and as a, as a nation, and I'm not quite sure why. And just to kind of give some sort of uh, storyline for that, when I joined eBay, about a week later, we were all called in the room and the eBay Ireland business was made redundant. They decided they didn't want to invest in it anymore, they couldn't afford to put traffic into it, and it stayed like that until about three years ago. We started a program and, and I did it voluntarily with a few other people to see could we revitalize this idea of marketplaces helping Irish retail. And it was just pre-pandemic, so it probably hit at the wrong time. So we trialed it with Tralee, where I was based, and we trialed it in Drogheda at the time. And what we said was we give you free access. We put an account management team behind this. We give you free listings. We give you storefronts. And to the point that they wanted to start pumping money into the advertising of it. And it fell on its face. And, and the reason it fell on its face was the stores themselves didn't have the resource to get catalogs built. They didn't want to put products online. They were trying to deal with people coming into the shop. The, the realities of a small business trying to, to build up the capability, now a lot of that infrastructure is in place. I think the timing of it was probably wrong, but now there's, now there's an understanding that it might not be the be-all and end-all for us, but it might be an incremental revenue stream. It might be the thing that pays the lights or the heat bill or something, but it's a contributory factor. Um, one of the things I like, I suppose, about the evolution of Shopify in Ireland and, and kind of moving on from there is that the technology has got better to the point that we don't all need to be technological experts to deal with it. You know, anyone who has a bit of desire to go and learn and will sit in front of YouTube for a while, which, let's be honest, we all will, is, has got the capability to become someone who is useful from an e-commerce perspective. So, again, that, that comes down to one of my older Gordonisms of the democratization of technology and that being available to to anyone that now wants to learn and accessible in terms of cost. So those barriers have kind of gone. So could culturally, could we be at a, a tipping point where where time could change and maybe that kind of cooperative marketplace model 
we could could we be on the cusp of that in Ireland now? It's time to have the conversation, I think, and that sounds so stupid and cliched and coming out of my mouth, it sounds even worse. But but I think we, we do have to, because the unit economics of Ireland, Ireland is tiny, like we're the size of Greater Manchester, there's a ceiling to which we can all grow if Ireland is going to be our only market. And I was listening to, to Kieran Crean, who, who's out there somewhere, Kieran, I, I think I saw you earlier on, we were chatting, and Kieran was talking with Gary Fox in the Entrepreneur Experiment about what would mixed garage look like in, in other countries. And, and I think he said the penetration rate that we had in Ireland, if we were to be in a bigger country like Germany, mixed garage would be a quarter of a billion turnover of a business. You know, that tells its own story. So Ireland has this limited capacity if you only trade in Ireland. Now, what it also pr presents for us, if we look at things like co-op services, and by that I mean we could have four fulfillment centers or six fulfillment centers all around the country allowing small retailers to, to pay a portion of it in, right? To say, we, we're going to pay, instead of having our own fulfillment service, we, we will pay for that service. You, you apply that to marketing, you apply it to warehousing, you apply it to technology. All of a sudden, that operating expense and cost that is, that is kind of crippling everyone right now is there to be questioned. And it means that instead of every small retailer in Tralee, I'm going to keep using the Tralee analogy, it's all I got in my head right now, sorry. But it means that it may become equitable for them at some point to access these services and access customers. Because when you think about it, we're, we're, we're spending all of our money in advertising through Google and through Meta. Let's say there was Ireland Inc., a giant department store where we actually shoved all of our money into that type of, of traffic. And that, that will work for a certain type of retailer. So I think the timing is right. We have co-op in our nature. It's in our blood. It's, it's what we've done for a long, long time. So I think the idea of shared services is something that we get. It's part of our DNA. So it's an interesting idea. It's something I've always been fascinated by as well. We see in time and time again people putting their marketing budget behind particular campaigns where they actually don't end up having any stock to sell once they, once they get the traffic to the site. Uh, and, and trying to share that kind of load across uh, a number of retailers could be very interesting. But with the democratization of the tech, and we've had it. We've had the discussion this morning. So the the barrier to entry to start selling online is quite low um, nowadays. If we had cooperative services, the uh, the barrier to fulfillment and to providing good good services, uh, access to marketing would be quite low as well. All of a sudden, we're flooding the market with a whole bunch of retailers uh, who have difficulty, let's say, distinguishing uh, themselves from each other. Do you worry about that side of things? I mean, everybody in the room is already worried about. Uh, how to distinguish themselves in a crowded marketplace? If we lower barriers even further, you know, how are we going to? Uh, how are retailers going to be able to to sell to their customers? I, I think we're changing the barrier, not lowering it, because they're already there at this point. I I think we've jumped beyond that that low threshold. What what I'm suggesting is that you you redeploy the resource that that's required to get there. So if if every if I go back to the point that if you take the Chris's presentation on customer experience, that's an incredibly difficult and time-consuming and probably prohibitive activity or even place to get your head into. Whereas if your job is to do what, what you know well, which is merchandise, price, get assortment right, buy properly, if they're the things that you're putting your energy into, then I, I, I think that they will people will start reaping the rewards because they're doing the, the activities that they should be doing. They're going to be putting time and energy into successful uh, merchandising tools and techniques that, that they've been doing anyway. And, and it allows them to maybe go through that learning phase a little bit differently because all of a sudden you're not asking someone to think through the language on the page for, for customer experience or branding. And the other side of it is getting the, the customer experience elements right. I think we saw the, the box from, from Fairly up there. And, and that, that unboxing experience is something that if anyone wanted to test where you are from a customer experience, mystery shop. Go on and buy something from one of your competitors. See what the follow-up communication is like. See what, what kind of 90-day communication plan they have for you as a customer to get into that cohort marketing that, that, that Brad talked about. So I think all of a sudden, Jerry, you're, you're actually asking people to do the things that they know how to do inherently. And in terms of flooding the market, I, I think they're fighting in that space anyway. What we're saying to people is make it easier because one of the things that, that I think we all feel at this point, like three years after or three years after the, the explosion of Black Friday and pandemic is that we're all tired. You know, the clock goes back to zero every morning. We're asked to do these things over and over and over again, and it's relentless and it's tough. And unless you have the passion to keep doing that every day, it can be exhausting. You know, the difference between a one and a half percent conversion rate and two percent is night and day for some people. 
And the uh, in, in terms of kind of developing and encouraging a test and learn culture here in Ireland, you know, what do you see that could be interesting for like experimentation, uh, looking into sourcing uh, product overseas, fulfillment centers in different areas, that sort of thing? I suppose there's, there's a couple of points there. Um, the, the test and learn can be picked up in a number of different ways. There's so many channels out there right now from a marketing perspective. I think the first thing to try and figure out is, you know, if, you, if you've got a wide customer base, uh, you know, if you're a, a department store type retailer, you're going to have a huge demographic to try and tap into and understand where they are. So your ability to test and learn can be quite broad because you can actually start being a little bit brave and moving through markets. And I was chatting to Amy Connolly from Sculpted by Amy on, on Thursday night. And that's one of the things they did really, really well. And test and learn doesn't have to be limited to just ads or, or, or online channels. One of the things she tested really early was the introduction of retail into her business. So she was a pure player online. Uh, they have over 500 outlets now between Ireland and the UK and they've moved into the Middle East and have aspirations to, to bring that on. And one of the things she said was, within that marketing A-B testing that she, she was able to throw up what she called moments for everyone in the supply chain to benefit from margin opportunity or merchandise or promotional activity. Um, and she just was able to understand what each of those channels brought to her. But that was through test and learn and over time, not, not trying to be all things to all people, but figuring out what was the motivation behind wanting to be involved or, 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 or not. Um, and understanding where customers were one of the other really interesting, um, I suppose, nuggets that she threw out there was that skincare that, that she's in is so broad that she could she could cater to every ethnicity, every skin type, every condition that's out there, but she's not going to because it would spread her too thin in terms of product production and manufacturing and push her into all these areas that would ultimately, I suppose, overtrade the business and, and they're not ready for that right now. So instead, they're keeping it tight by, by understanding that test and learn process. So I think that was really interesting. The, the other side of it then, if you look at how we source products, one of the, the things that I've seen quite a lot is that people are now starting to look at different ways, different places to manufacture as opposed to different ways. So we've been used to Far East manufacturing, like if I take crew or a tent business, um, we, we started looking to Turkey, to Spain and to Mexico as the three places now that we want to start producing our product in. The, the, the product development costs and production costs used to be so high that we couldn't do that before. But now what we see with the increased cost of freight and everything else, even though it's come down over the last two years, we now see that it's possible for us to manufacture in North America, given that we can get road freight. We, we can then go from factory to, to shop floor or to our distribution center in, in California to get closer to our customer. And that's one of the things that, that's really important to us because our tents are, you know, they, they can be anywhere from 65 kilos up to 130 kilos. So they're bulky, they're big, no one wants to handle them. Uh, Unpust would, would run a mile if they saw them. I'd, sorry if you're here, but <laughs> um, but but it's ugly freight. It's not nice, you know. So so for us, we have to look at different ways to to, to make our business survive first of all, and then to get beyond that, we want to be able to do almost just-in-time manufacturing to say, well, if you want to tent in blue, we don't do it, but we'll do it for you in 12 weeks. And by the way, this is how you order it, and we go through that process. So it opens up a new way of working for us by going through that process. And, and I know there are Irish brands who have done that as well. So it gives a bit of certainty into your supply chain also by having it having it close by. I think there's there's a couple of emerging Irish apparel brands. There's one called Almost Home, which I actually love, and they do a lot of their manufacturing now and design and product development in Portugal. So great story, great place to get product developed. Um, it's within Europe, and it gives them, as you say, that that kind of flexibility to have shorter production runs, faster time to market, easier shipment, gets their costs right down. Yeah, and I, I think, what, what you said you call Almost Home? Almost Home. Th there must be something in that industry. There's also Final Bend. They're another athleisure <laughs> company in Ireland. If they were in Cheltenham last week, they'd have a field day with them. No, but, but it's something I've seen more and more. There's a company, has anyone heard of Smooth Company? Hands up if you've heard of them, no? Thank you. Smooth Company are um, a, a, a little hair stick it. It's like a little pullback stick you can use for hair. Not for me, Ger Gordon, but well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Just, just on the back. Um, <laughs> but but the, the company didn't exist a year ago and the product was designed by Only Kennedy and her grandfather and, and they've gone through an organic growth uh, pattern. They use, um, they use Instagram as their primary sales channel. They, they're up to a healthy six figures pushing towards seven in terms of turnover. It's profitable. They use the channels really narrowly. They have a Shopify store. It, it connects their catalog to all the places they want to be. So they recognize 
Shopify, as great as it is from a front-end perspective, it's a great cataloging tool. So we, they can do so many different things with it from a, an operations perspective. It's allowing them to grow in the way that they want. But they've moved all their manufacturing to Portugal. So in the last, I think, about three months, they have moved everything from, again, the Far East saying, we want to be able to get into shorter production cycles. We want to be able to deliver in three or four days. And that means we can manage cash flow way better as a small growing business. And it means for them, one of the interesting questions that, that Kieran was asking the podcast is around funding. It means that they don't have to go for funding. They're organically growing this and repatriating the profits back in to, to, to design new products and to uh, keep the wheels turning. And so moving away a little bit from uh, questions of like supply chain and uh, manufacturing and so on, uh, one of the things I've heard you speak about a lot recently is uh, hybrid TV and radio advertising. Uh, you seem to be quite passionate about it. Um, do you want to explain um, what it means and why you're so excited about it? Yeah, I, I, there's, there's great growth potential. So if we look at where audiences are kind of gathering and, and we're, we're all kind of getting back to, you know, bit of normality that we're trying to figure out ways to to go and bring audiences in so if i take crew our tent example again we were trying to figure out how to get mass market in america we couldn't buy our way there every time we tried to spend we we would hit a limit in terms of conversion and customers and everything that we could get in so we couldn't afford to go into linear tv is what it's called like regular tv advertising we didn't particularly want to either because it was, it was too challenging but we knew beyond selling in five core states that we set, we sold in that we wanted to expand it. So we started exploring this idea of connected TV. So there's a platform called Mountain.TV owned by Ryan Reynolds or part owned or whatever. I threw that in because I tried to dress like him today and I failed miserably. It used to be in e-commerce, you could just run a pair of Converse and you were a genius, but those days have, have sadly passed us by. But but the, the idea for me was I was looking at customer behaviors and this is where the whole idea came from was People were at home, they were watching Netflix, they were going on to other streaming services. Increasing consumption of that type of media was, was what we were doing. If you look at radio, just to kind of broaden the horizons there, we're getting into podcasts, Snap, um, and, and all that goes with it. So our consumption pattern, patterns as consumers are changing. So it makes sense that we start positioning our product in that space as well. So we started using the self-serve platform to put our own ads up there. I think they've got about 4,000 combinations of demographic positions that you can go after so we could target people who bought from us before, people who hadn't. Like we, we, we stopped advertising a Meta three years ago to 18 to 34 year olds because we'd never sold a tent to an 18 to 34 year old ever. So we just stopped advertising. Like we said, to hell with it. We're just, there's no point. It's a waste of money. Whereas when we look at connected TV, we can tell a different story through different content type. And we feel that we should be reaching those people because all of the other customer insights and research tells us that these are the people who are now shopping all the time. So I, I'm, I'm really, I suppose, bullish on it as an advertising vehicle. A couple of other quick behaviors that are creeping in. If you look at Netflix, uh, they're bringing in advertising costs because I suppose they want a new revenue stream. The user base is dropping, but people are dropping to the lower, uh, the entry point uh, account of Netflix. So instead of paying $17, you're, you're paying eight or whatever. That introduces the idea of ads, so you're forced to watch them. So me as an advertiser, I'm thinking this is good cheap traffic for me to go top of funnel and say, hey, everybody, look at us. We sell insulated tents. You didn't even know you need one. Now everyone's going to go buy them. So that's been quite successful for us in terms of top of funnel. If we look at Ireland as, as a market itself, Sky is introducing this into the platform. I, I know I've used radio advertising for a lot of uh, localized retailers to great success using Alexa devices. Dick's Sporting Good in America, 70% of all its advertising revenue goes to Alexa. So they will use localized radio ads for the local Dick's Sporting Goods to come and buy whatever it is, fishing tackle, you name it, you go there and get it. But that's where they spend all their advertising revenue. So if I'm understanding this correctly, Vinny, we're saying TV is dead, long live TV. And you can now buy advertising programmatically in the way that we would have been used to buying uh, display advertising in the past or, or or paid social in the past is is that am I understanding this correctly you have such a good habit of summarizing my long-winded answer <laughs> so well um, I might get you to do the next one for me as well yeah effectively but, but it, it's evolving it's getting better like everything it's going to hit the UK before it hits here they're going to be launching in TV advert or in TV placements so the, the the sky glass TV is going to have a camera fixed on the top of it from May you're going to be able to try clothing on during a show and say do I want to buy this now and scan a QR code to say, just take my money. It's fascinating. Um, I'm going to go off script a tiny bit uh, and see, does anybody in the audience want to ask uh, anybody brave enough to appear on a podcast 
James Byrne. Uh, <laughs> Karen, can I, can I ask you, can I ask a question? Because Karen, I, I talked about the co-op side of things and, and, and Wave, I know you're talking to us later on, but it's that economies of scale idea that, that's bringing you to retailers' door and, and getting you in to talk to them. Is that fair to say? No pressure, this is payback. So what's the question? It's, it's the idea that, that services at, at a certain level kind of aggregated amongst a lot of retailers are where Irish e-commerce can bring costs down. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people have talked about that over the years. Um, but ultimately, when you get different corporates together, they all have their own interests and priorities. Um, and we, we looked at that relative to logistics or indeed uh, operations and infrastructure. In theory, it's great. But that whole cooperative view of things is incredibly difficult to implement and get together to the point I don't actually think there is a model, fiber model worldwide on it, uh, would be my view. Um, but we'll have a chat about it over tea. It, it, effectively, it's what you provide, though. When you look at the range of services that have emerged from Mixed Garage, that's how I think about it. But still, it's, 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 it's for us, right? So it's, really, so it's a commercial entity. And like we're no different than, you know, yeah, we, we do some 3PL services, we, we have some software, et cetera. But ultimately, it's not necessarily a collaborative thing. It is very much offering services to different uh, e-com or retail operations to emulate what we're doing to a great degree. And just to pick up on that, I don't think it needs to be collaborative. I just think the service needs to be available and paid for. It's just that the aggregation of it all brings it together. If you look at the Hood Group in the UK, that's what they've done very, very successfully over the last 10 or 15 years. Another group called eComplete do the same thing. They, they, they bring all this revenue under their management and they negotiate contracts on the aggregated totals for people. So th there's, an there's an evolution, there's a path already been plotted for us to say, that that type of endeavor can work. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a flywheel effect, isn't there? You know, so where, where, where you can, where increasing volume brings increasing opportunities, whether it be commercial, uh, tactical, uh, or operational. Uh, and I think that's why the Hook Group are fantastic at it. They're amazing at it, you know, relative to, and, and you know, with Mixarge, we would aspire to be them to some degree, where you have your own platform and, and thereafter you can roll and spin and take the advantages of, the, of your existing operations, uh, assuming you have them honed down to a great degree uh, to allow you to do that. So, no, for sure, there, there definitely is a wider flywheel effect once you hit a level, a certain scale on it. And so Jerome, I'll throw that to you as well. Hold on, so usually, usually the, uh, the audience asks the questions, you know. Sorry, so sorry, it, sorry. It's, But, but I, 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 do you, is there anybody else in the room you'd like to terrorize before, uh, before I hand the microphone over? You just put me in my place, so I'll shut up. No, not at all, no. Is there uh, any other questions you'd like to ask to the audience? We'll, give it, we'll, we'll turn it around for a little bit. Well. I, I, I'm going to throw that back to you then as well, because look, we're, we're all here because we're talking about e-commerce and where it's going, and we, we've looked at some of the, the roles here. One of the things I'm interested in is the development of those roles, and some of the things we've seen, like merchandising, I think that's going to be a really important skill set to have in the business over the next few years. One of the things Gordon used to do was retrain people internally really well, uh, but Gordon had a team of 400 people or 600, <laughs> depending on who you talk to, and a payroll of whatever. But where do you see the future of roles going in e-commerce? I get asked it all the time. Yeah, we we get asked it all the time as well. Like there there are certain areas I think that are still that are missing that will be key in the future, and one of them is uh, trading. Um, it's an area that uh, it's it's effectively let's say akin to some of the stuff that Brad was showing us. Uh, a person in the business who's looking at the cohorts and making uh, data driven decisions uh, on what kind of product the, you you what, what kind of product is working really well let's say at the top of funnel to get people into the website um, what are people buying first and then looking at that and saying right well I don't really want to sell a lot of these um, I might, it mightn't be a very high margin product or it might you might be uh, driven to, to compete in price with everybody else but you could say well People who buy this buy something, you know, buy other things. They buy, you know, they buy this and they need another product with it. And I'm going to start marketing to those people to sell them up through the chain to get they come in to buy, the, uh, let's say, uh, a bag of flour at a, at a euro or two euros. And now I'm going to sell them organic flour. And then after that, I'm going to sell them yeast. And after that, I'm going to sell them a person who looks at the business and the online activity and trades the site at that level. That's something that I think is currently missing in, in e-commerce roles. Gordon, I can see your oh, angling together. So I'm, 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 I'm super passionate about this. I think what we've seen, if, if we take this this idea that tech has now become democratized and we've all got much more access to it, that means that we can focus on the things that are great within 
our retail organizations. So what is what are retailers really good at? We're really good at proposition development. We're really good at merchandising. We're really good at trading because that's what we've we've done for hundreds of years. So I think those skills translated to digital environments are the key skills to be bringing into your business. They're also the rarest in a, in a digital environment. But if you can bring those skills in, and then some of the things that you might have pushed out in, uh, you bought in in the past, you can now kind of push out to agencies and and to technical partners. So like, really, do you want to be running a team of developers or do you want to be running a team of retailers? And I think running a team of retailers is just like, obviously massively biased as a retailer, but much more interesting and much more fun and get your partners to do all the tech stuff. And for those of you playing um, buzzword bingo, Gordon has now said democratized three times, so you win a prize. <laughs> um, but just to, to pick up on that one really, really quickly, one of the really interesting things coming out of eBay world was the idea of a trading manager. I'd never seen it before in Ireland, and, and to this day, we haven't seen it at scale. eBay produced so many traders, and people are to think on their feet, and there's so many wonderful stories of how people use that trading mentality to do things like get rid of refurbished stock. So we had loads of work with Tesco on that, loads of work with Curry's. We, we turned, I think, 10 SKUs into a $2 million a month line through certified refurbishment and selling refurb stock on eBay and Amazon in a, in a three-month period. Um, Argos, we used to think we're doing an amazing job of clearing stock on, on eBay. Uh, when we first got them on, there were clearance bargains of that lovely black and yellow branding, which you love. And it was the, the thing in the corner of the, the store that ultimately became the clearance aisle. Um, Argos did about 20 million a year with us on eBay. And at the end of our first year, we thought, yeah, great for us. Let's go on the lash. We'll, we, we'll drink it up. Thought it was great. And Argos were so disappointed. And what they were disappointed was their buyers had bought wrong. So we were out celebrating their misery. They were getting battered on it because they had to write that off balance sheet every single month and then just clear it through eBay. Now, I, I won't get into too much right now, but they had a warehouse with a till at the end of the warehouse and they used to ring through all the orders at the end of every single day. And that's how they handled it until it became a fully omnichannel business. But that trading, that would be one of the things I'd love to see creeping in that trading mentality. We just have a tiny amount of time before we have to close for lunch. Is there anybody in the audience brave enough to take up the challenge of putting a question to either Vinny or Gordon or myself? Oh, I have a few. I have a few hands. Uh, I'll hand over to you. Uh, will you call out your name and come to me? this, sir? Um, well, both of them. Ah, how's it going? My name is uh, Colin Harmon. I'm from Three uh, of Coffee. I'm interested in your uh, perspective on the UK market. So you mentioned the size of the Irish market is quite small, obviously, and for a long time, that was kind of something that we would look to get into, like other businesses. But at the moment, with duties and VAT and lead times and everything else that's come with Brexit, is there any point even addressing it uh, in your mind? And then if we're looking to Europe, do you think that's a, a viable entity as well in, in terms of a market? Or should we just keep focusing on what we're doing for the moment until something uh, easier pops up? I love your coffee, by the way. Just if you could send it to Trillie, that would be great. Um, <laughs> I, 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 like, I like Gordon take that on that. It's like, um, I worked with a coffee brand recently, and we, did, we, 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 went in, we entered the UK market for about six, maybe eight months. Initially, when we went in there, it was fine, became very unprofitable very quickly, and with rising costs, it became kind of insurmountable. It didn't make sense. You're spending, spending a pound to get 50p back, that, that type of return. Now, one of the areas that we have seen success is in the EU, and that's where looking at this idea of third-party partners can be really useful. So maybe not that you're using Amazon FBA as your warehouse to distribute across Europe, but there are partners out there who, who can do that. I, I, I worked with a food conglomerate. We set up a D2C path coming out of the Netherlands. The reason we were able to, to, to kind of do it in a profitable way was we realized that road freight coming out of there could get to anywhere in Europe in three days. Most of Northern Europe, which is where the market we wanted, Germany, Netherlands, Belgium, that kind of area, was able to be serviced in one day. So the, the, the actual cost of getting product there was cheap because we were getting it into Rotterdam and it was, it was a better place for it to get product into. So I would say EU over UK is worth looking at. I would use a conduit such as a marketplace or a third party to help justify the, the business case for it and then work out of there as well. There may be other things that you find that, you know, evaluate your pricing strategy. So are, are you at the level you, you could be to support being in that market as well? Are you, you know, you're quite a premium product. Could you price up and, and enter market? Can you design new products? I've seen people who've used that entry strategy to design new product lines specifically 
for a market because there is an opportunity there. So the idea of test and learn is something I, I would certainly have a look at. Gordon, anything to add? Very little to add other than what I've learned this morning is that I, I think there's clearly an opportunity to leverage third parties, to leverage marketplaces, to give you some reach to test. I think that could be that could be an option. Um, and then there's also going and assessing the individual marketplace opportunities. So how big is the overall market for what you sell? And how much penetration do you have in there, if any? And how competitive and noisy is it? And once, once you're looking at that, you see, okay, well, this is an attractive market, more attractive than, market A is more attractive than market B, so therefore localized for market, what did I say, market A? <laughs> localized for market A. And also, what are those tools that you can use to reach that market? And one of the things I learned last week from talking to Vinny, which was, which was a, a new thing for me, is there are over 400 marketplaces? 450. 450 marketplaces. Um, so there's different marketplaces for different verticals, for different specialisms. So I think there's, there's a good bit of research to be done there. So a very long-winded, not quite straight answer. Okay, I'm going to give the last question here to James because he was also brave enough. And they picked on him. <laughs> Can I leave a question at the end then, Ger? I'm sorry? Can I leave a question at the end? Yeah, sure. Go on. Guys, I'd be interested to know your thoughts on Amazon. They're, I suppose, still in startup phase here in terms of their distribution. And I would love to know what impact you feel they're having today and then how far along their journey in Ireland you feel they're going, they are to, they're going to be. Quick hand pass there from Gordon. He'd make the Irish World Cup team at this rate. <laughs> um, Look, they, they haven't done what they want. They're underutilized. Depending on who you talk to, they're not overly committed to trying to push that too hard right now. Amazon have just gone through 20, they've just laid off 27,000 staff globally um, and they're rationalizing costs. So I don't see them pushing too hard on it right now. What they want is availability of assortment. I think they're going to let the market find its own feet, then start com coming back in and trying to get more product onto shelf. Um, they've done something similar in Belgium. They've had better success there. So they've followed it through with further investment in the product. And they've cut down the number of third-party sellers that they're having globally in, in general. One of the other big moves that they've made, I guess, um, from a vendor perspective is that they're not allowing resellers. So they want to deal with brands directly as part of the relationship uh, mentality that they have. Battening down the hatches, they want long-term profitability. They're coming under shareholder pressure. Um, Andy Jassy's in there now instead of Jeff Bezos. And, and that's going to be his legacy, I guess, is trying to deliver profitability in the long term. So. I, I think we still have an opportunity to work alongside Amazon as part of our strategy. 250 of the top 500 retailers in the UK have just been surveyed and produced a brilliant report recently. And 58% of their, their search volume for branded search goes through marketplaces before it goes to their own website. So th there is a need to be visible if you are a brand owner. And you might decide that in the long term it's not for you, but it's, it might be part of your top of funnel visibility strategy. One of the things that, that you learn from Amazon very quickly is the, 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 the PXP pages. That's Amazon A plus content just delivered through Shopify. So there's a lot of the sensibilities that we can learn from marketplaces or the, the rigors that they put us through. And this is going to be my final question that I think we can take from it. So my, my, my thought to, to leave on this is that I don't think we need next day delivery. It's been the barrier that's crucified us for so, so long. We, we have a country that's easy enough to get around in two or three days. You know, there's not many products that are that that not in that need, not in that area of necessity enough that says we need to have as a core service fast delivery. And final point on that is if you look at the UK market, it's saturated. Of those 250 brands, they have coverage for about 104 stores each, which if you were to break it down into miles, I just wrote about this last week. Every store, every store in that 250 is covered every 16 miles in the UK. As a strategy for a business, that is not good. There's going to be more of those closed down, reduce the store footprint. We have an opportunity to think differently about it in Ireland. And that's what I that's what I want to take out of today, is just well, to think different. Well, just to, to wrap up, because we're def we're eating into lunchtime. Literally. Um, literally. Oh, well, not literally. We're not eating at all. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, just as, as a show of hands, who thinks uh, next day delivery uh, is crucial for Ireland? Just to answer Vinny's questions, show of hands, next day delivery, crucial. I'm uh, giving that like maybe 20% approximately. So 80% believe next day delivery, not so important. There's the answer to your question, Vinny. Woo! Okay. 
Uh, thanks very much, everybody. Uh, it's been great to, to have the opportunity to do the uh, Functional and Fabulous podcast here today. And uh, lunch is served at the back of the room. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, Vinny was a live wire there, wasn't he, Jer? What did you think? Oh, I thought Marketplace, 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 Marketplace. He is a fan. And to be honest, I've very little experience of actually selling on marketplaces but mm. he raises some, some good points the amount the of points are fabulous I, they're really really good points i have to stop using the word fabulous so much uh, splendid they were splendid points I, there's nothing wrong with being fabulous yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> but he's put the points are great uh, they're and they were so varied and so so many of them so varied from the examples of sell through of clearance items still at a decent exit margin so you're protecting your exit margin while discounting it, but you're selling it in, in, in the likes of, let's say, an eBay or something like that, where people are satisfied with a discount, knowing that it's beyond, below the, the price and you, you manage to get your product out the door that way and, and clear that way. From that sort of thing to obviously internationalization, you know, getting in front of a larger market, getting eyeballs onto your product and using and leveraging marketplaces for new ventures um, in the product that you're selling. You know, there are so many different examples. The retail media, um, that he spoke about the idea that potentially, I mean, you know, it may be a little bit into the future for for, for in Ireland, but potentially, um, you could look at selling uh, advertising space to the brands that you have, uh, for them to actually promote their own product. I think there's something really interesting going on in this space at the moment, and there's a couple of examples of it. I think Kingfisher are a really good example of kind of both marketplaces and retail media potential mm. they've launched their marketplace site it's doing phenomenally well and it's allowed lots and lots of new product to, to be added in and to be sold over and above i yeah. think there's talk of oh if i get this wrong i'll get in trouble it was either boots or next we're boots opening up the 26 percent of all their revenue the generated through the marketplace now yeah and then that opens up that opportunity yeah. to build a retail media business online mm -hmm. because you've got different traders now leveraging that property be that boots or be that one of one of kingfisher's sites um like b&q mm. and actually actually them competing on it in in a way that we've only really seen domestically on on the big a yeah they're scratching the surface on us you know and this is one of the things with with, with Vinny that I, I i always find when we when we're speaking with him his ideas and the the, the level that he's thinking but his ideas are so big sometimes i feel like they're almost too big for the country oh he's he thinks he thinks at a, at a whole other different level mm. and that's one of the reasons why i love spending time with him because the inspiration that that can that that can give you i have literally like the ideas spinning around what could we do with a cooperative island mm -hmm. and i think if you've got that that big marketplace with all of all of the independent retailers contributed to it that could be like the ultimate destination for Irish shoppers and he he thinks so big and so fast and so far ahead I do struggle to keep up <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, he's well able to defend his ideas as well I mean I, I went on my little walkabout um, apologies uh, Roger um, as, as I gave him a little heart attack uh, manning the video and we had a we had a chance to talk to Kieran Crean Kieran uh, is a practitioner, you know, I mean, he has experience, uh, he's been in the trenches, they're still in the trenches, you know, Mixed Garage is a, a hugely successful, very active proposition, they're coming out with the Wave OMS, and uh, Vinny grilled, uh, grilled Kieran Crean, Kieran Crean equally grilled Vinny right back again. I love that little, bit of, trust. that little bit of interaction mm. there, but Kieran's right, I mean, you, I'm assuming you've been to the Mixed Garage warehouse. Yes, I have, of course. And seen Wave in action. I think everybody, everybody, everybody in the country go. at this stage, yeah. and if you haven't been, you should go. Yeah. But I, I thought that that was really interesting because it was the the two sides of of the coin there, and and discussing well, why might this not work versus absolutely this is how this could work. Yeah. And that's I, I think we need that level of debate. Yeah, there and and it's a lovely, healthy level of debate. It's uh, 
because because sometimes I mean obviously the theory is there for a reason and and the, the kind of let's say the more you know research driven academic side of things that's there for a reason that's to allow us to push forward an agenda um or allow us to push forward ideas the practice is also there for a reason it's like that because we actually have to do it you have to implement these things and what is our experience of doing it and where do we fall down sometimes and 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 I think it was it was great to see it was like you know, uh, double dragon, um, where the two fireballs were right in the middle, <laughs> right in the middle of the room. <laughs> so. If I could do that, like, I've only got the Street Fighter action for that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, don't film that. <laughs> um, but um, th- that was brilliant. And then we moved on to programmatic TV. And that is something that Vinny's super it's, excited about. It's such a good opportunity. Isn't it the dream mm. to actually deliver really relevant TV advertising instead of TV being purely this broad reach media tool. Yeah, I think there was maybe it feels like a couple of years ago people nearly gave up on this idea of ads. Well, ads on ads on television because we were skipping them left, right and center, but obviously now Netflix is changing uh, around to offer the the basic subscription package with ads and that gives you the opportunity to as a as a as a retailer or as a person who's looking to promote and to 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 generate demand. It gives you the opportunity to get into living rooms in Cork City, uh, in the suburbs of Dublin, to directly target uh, your specific, uh, your specific customer, with 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 a range of ads that are that are, that that apply to them, um, to and gives you the opportunity to to generate demand. This is where we where we all need to go to. We all need to, we need to get those eyeballs. We need to get people in front of the product. We want to show off what we have to sell. So it's it, it's it's uh, he's right. It is so interesting and tempting and such a lovely. Uh, it feels like such a lovely uh, um, approach to be able to, you know, talk to people directly in their, you know, in their living rooms, basically. Um, and I, I, it's brilliant. I, I think endless source of inspiration. Mm. Well worth a follow on LinkedIn if you're listening and you don't already. I have a question for you though, Jay. Uh huh. Live podcasts. How do we think we did? Oh, I, thought, I thought I thought we did really well. I thought we did really well. Roger couldn't keep up with us, but apart from that, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know what people thought when I thrust a furry mic under their nose. But <laughs> you're but running around that, with your microphone. Yeah, speak now. Which, which one do I talk into? Speak into both of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do I go left? Do I go right? I I thought it was really interesting to do that with um with an audience and and it was a lot of fun and uh if they're listening thank you for taking part and listening to listening to the podcast that was a that was a really fun that was a um, way to spend an hour in an afternoon yeah live from the studio 49 conference <laughs> uh 2023 thanks so much gordon it's been a, a pleasure as always thanks Jay. And can't th- wait till the next one and thanks to our listeners take care You've been listening to Functional and Fabulous with Jerk Johan and Gordon Newman. If you'd like to know more about the podcast or about Studio 49 and Omnichannel Stories, please go to functionalandfabulous.ie. Our sound engineer was Elaine Smith and the show was produced by Roger Overall.